have your Bible on today, I'm going to ask you to open it uh, to a very familiar passion, uh, portion of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to take off here. I'm not necessarily going to stay here, but I'm going to take off here. Hallelujah. We've been uh, in a new series called Outcasts. Outcasts. And so far, we've talked about two individuals. Hallelujah. Uh, they happen to be Old Testament uh, characters. One, a woman named Leah, and the other one, a man named Jephthah. Today, I want to try to bring uh, a couple of characters from the New Testament. Amen? Hallelujah. Truth is, I found so many examples in the Bible, hallelujah, that if we did a character each sermon, this could be a 10-part series, easy. Uh, but I don't want the series to be that long. And so I'm going to take some short stories very quickly, hallelujah, and show them to you. Amen? And so I want to start, hallelujah, in the book of John, the fourth chapter. And uh, I believe it's verse number nine. I'm only going to read one verse because I know everybody in here is somewhat familiar with this story. It is the story of the Samaritan woman. Amen. Uh, but I just want to extrapolate this, this one portion of scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. And then just take off from here. I read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And the word of the Lord says it so. Then saith the woman of Samaria, that's important, unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You're going to see. If you don't know already that this is a woman who has been rejected. Amen. I want to talk to you for a little while under the subject. Those who man turns away, God turns around. Those who man or men turn away, God turns around. And we're still dealing with the subject of outcasts. And so we're dealing with characters who know what it is to experience rejection. Anybody ever been there? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord God, and we thank you for your word. We know that it is rich, Lord God, so today, let it be of edification unto your people. Let your people be transformed, edified, and built up by the power of the spoken word. And we give you glory for it now in advance. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. How's everybody doing tonight? You guys doing all right? Hallelujah. I want to start off with a very quick illustration. Hallelujah. Now, ladies, I'm going to need you to bear with me because this particular illustration is a sports illustration. Amen. Hallelujah. And while I know that some ladies like sport, I'm just saying that just in case. Hallelujah. But how many of you in here are familiar with basketball? Like basketball a little bit? Hallelujah. I want, God showed me something. It's amazing what he'll use to show you something sometimes. But there is, there is something, hallelujah, in the game of basketball that is called a triple threat stance. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. A triple threat stance. Now, a triple threat stance is simply, hallelujah, uh, something that makes the ball player more dangerous as it pertains, hallelujah, to his, for his ability to score, his ability to succeed, hallelujah, uh, and score points. And so, uh, one coach basically puts it like this. If a ball player has the basketball in his hand 
and he holds it over his head and all he does is hold it over his head then the defender has the opportunity to get real close to him leaving the ball player only one option one option and that option is to pass the ball that's all he could do if he holds the ball over his head and allows the defender to get up really close so a good ball player one like Michael Jordan one like Kobe Bryant uh, one like LeBron James develop what is called a triple threat stance what it is is simply this rather than holding the ball up high they hold the ball low and in holding the ball low and pivoting one foot hallelujah they become a triple threat in other words not only can I shoot the ball I can also pass the ball but at the same time I can dribble the ball so if I hold it low my defender can't get too close because because of the way I'm holding the ball, I actually increase my options. Stay with me now, hallelujah, because the first thing that I really wanted to tell you tonight, based on this illustration, is that a correct approach or a correct stance increases your options for greater success. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not, not just in basketball, but in ministry. And you're going to see that in the life of Jesus, in his approach to this woman when he ministers to her. Are you in this place so far? So I want to show you Jesus' three-step or triple threat stance against the enemy when it comes to winning souls for Jesus. And show me the next one very quickly, hallelujah. You see how he's holding the ball low there? And there goes the point, a correct approach or stance increases your options for greater success. Show me the next one. Jesus uses a triple threat stance against the enemy when winning souls. Show me the next one. Hallelujah. I'm moving. You see that? Here it is. Here it is. Hallelujah. Truth, as in the truth. Spirit, as in the spirit of God. Amen. And then number three is hunger. Number three is hunger. Let's talk about truth just a moment. Hallelujah. It's amazing to me that when Jesus talks to this particular woman, uh, one of the first things that he begins to, to minister uh, to her is the truth. Now, the first thing is that he lets her know about this particular truth, and that is that she has a need. Here's the truth for you, woman. You have a need. And it's obvious because you keep coming to this well. It's obvious that you have a need but watch this as long as and you guys know this story as long as you keep coming to the will of this world to satisfy your thirst it's going to leave you thirsty and you're going to have to come back again to get some more and then you're going to have to come back and get some more and you know how it is saints anybody who has lived for a little while or has strayed away or never lived with Jesus you know that there is nothing in this world that can satisfy the longing of your soul if anything, hallelujah, it can satisfy you temporarily and then before you know it, because the Bible calls us broken cisterns, which means we're always leaking, hallelujah, that we'll have to eventually come back for more. And oftentimes, hallelujah, depending on what it is, sometimes it's drugs and the drugs don't do it, you come back for more. Alcohol don't do it, you come back for more. And, and you always got to increase, hallelujah, to try to satisfy. But at the end of the day, none of that stuff really satisfies. Jesus is telling this woman, here's the truth, you have a need. 
but you have a need that only I can quench. You have a need, hallelujah, that only I can quench. And basically what you've been doing is you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. You, you've been looking to satisfy the longing of your soul in man, hallelujah, or trying to get out of man something that only God can give you because every individual has a God-shaped hole, hallelujah, that only Jesus can fill. And you'll go throughout life, hallelujah, looking for fulfillment, looking for happiness, and you will always come up short. You know the story of this woman, hallelujah. Let me go on. The first, the, the, the second uh, truth that he gives her, hallelujah, because he tells her she has the need and she doesn't necessarily totally receive it. She doesn't necessarily, she's not totally convinced by that. So then he gives her another need and he tells her basically, and he doesn't say it directly, but this is what he's saying. He says, yeah, well, you're a sinner. And he says that to her by asking her to get her husband. He told her, bring your husband. Because he got to the point, hallelujah, when he told her, I can quench your thirst. She eventually says, I'd like, to, I'd like to get my thirst quenched. I'd like, give me that water that you're talking about. And Jesus said, get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you have said correctly. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband. So this is a woman who's been divorced five times. I want you to, I want you to see who Jesus is talking to. I want you to see who Jesus doesn't have a problem talking to. Oh, God. She's a woman, hallelujah, who has been divorced five times and then has given up on marriage altogether and is with somebody who she's cohabiting with, but they're not necessarily married. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he's still talking to her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so watch this. He's actually wanting to deal with her past. Amen. He's, he's basically letting her know, I want to release you into your future, but I cannot until I deal with your past. I want to deliver you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. And he's basically, he's basically letting her know, you've met six men, but I'm number seven. And once you meet number seven, if anybody in here knows number seven is the number of God, once you come in contact with number seven, everything's going to change. He's basically telling this woman, the reason none of your relationships have worked is because I have not been the center of them. But if you make me the center of your relationship, your relationship will work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. Hallelujah. This is practical stuff. Watch this. When he's talking to her about her situation or about her sin, uh, you know, it made her a little uncomfortable. You know how people get, right? We get uncomfortable when we start talking about some real things. Amen. Everything is all right until God gets in your kitchen. And so she gets a little uncomfortable and she tries to shy away from the conversation of sin by starting a conversation about theology. Watch this because when Jesus said, you've been married five times and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. She said, wait a minute. I perceive that thou art a prophet. And so she said, oh, he's spiritual. Okay. We worship on the mountains. She tried, you know, she tried to start a, a spiritual conversation. And she said, we worship on the mountains. And Jesus said, you worship what you don't know. Jesus, in essence, is saying, I'm not interested in your religion. Do you have relationship? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because, listen, you could be religious and not know him. Notice, notice, notice what he tells her. You worship 
what you don't know. Because that is the main objective of religion. Not to allow you to know him personally. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he basically says, you got religion, but you don't have relationship. And listen, even concerning the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who claim to be men and women of God, he said, listen, you praise me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me. So it is possible for you to have religion. It is possible for you to even know the Bible. It is possible for you to quote scripture and your heart still be far from God. You could know word and not know the word. That almost don't make sense, right? But when you understand that Jesus is the word, hallelujah, you could actually quote scripture and not know the author of the scripture. Amen, somebody. I'm still building here, hallelujah. If a person is worshiping the way they should, in spirit and in truth, then they'll be more willing to honor God by doing what he asks, right? Hallelujah. But until a person, put my next point up there. I think it's the next point. Hallelujah. Until a person makes God's will first, they will try and change what God wants or tell God he has to accept them on their terms. And Jesus, in essence, says you need relationship with God so that your relationships with people will work. Are you in this place so far? Hallelujah, Jesus. The woman said this, hallelujah. She said, I, I, I know that the Messiah is going to come, and, and when he comes, he will explain all things to us. And Jesus said, I, who am speaking to you right now, am he. And I, and I just want to remind you all, hallelujah, as Jesus reminded this woman right here, that until, hallelujah, Jesus becomes, hallelujah, the Lord of your life and the source of all your answers, nothing else is really going to matter. I said nothing else is really going to matter. And so he starts talking to her about truth. That was his first option. His second option, I said, was the spirit. Amen. It is possible for you to hold truth and not be led by the spirit. Hear me in here. Hallelujah. I said it is possible for you to hold truth, have truth, and yet not be led by the spirit. Hallelujah. Concerning the truth that you hold. Let me, let me just submit to you very quickly. Hallelujah. Uh, listen to what this woman said in the text that we read. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to even, you guys don't associate with me because I'm a Samaritan. Hallelujah. How many of you knew that in that day, the Pharisees, the Jewish nation, saw the Samaritans as unclean people? So unclean that they did not come in contact with them. They didn't even go to Samaria. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In this text, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. And he's waiting at a well for a particular woman, and she's a Samaritan. When the disciples get back, hallelujah, because they went to get food, when they get back, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And the first thing that they said is, what is he doing? Talking to her. Does he not know who she is? Now, these are the disciples. I mean, they're in training, but they're his disciples. And, and, and believe it or not, there are some disciples who are still like this. Why are you talking to her? She's unclean. 
She's a sinner. Why are you coming into contact with that individual? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. But in order to properly use Christ's triple threat against Satan, we must be led by the Spirit. How do I know if I'm being led by the Spirit? Put my next point up there real quickly. Hallelujah. You are being led by the Spirit when you manifest the fruits of the Spirit. I said you are being led by the Spirit when you manifest the fruits of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I think that so many times we concentrate on the gifts of the Spirit. But you don't know if you're being led by the Spirit until you manifest the fruits of the Spirit in your life. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Come on, somebody help me out in here. Love. Joy, peace, faithfulness, or another word is long-suffering, patience, hallelujah, kindness, goodness. Here's, here's a doozy for you, self-control. One of the ways we know you're being led by the Spirit is by your amazing ability to control yourself. That's easier said than done, right? Hallelujah. Listen, a lot of the disciples would have held the ball up in the air. I want to see if you're still with me. They would have held the ball up in the air. Hallelujah. Like, there is no other option here. We don't deal with these people. Pass. But not Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Watch this. I'm showing these individuals to you out as outcasts, but I also want to show you how Jesus ministered to those who were outcasts so that you who, hallelujah, who once were rejected know how to minister to rejected people. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah. Because I would submit to you that even until today, there are some churches who cling to God's truth, but they don't much like anybody who isn't like them or doesn't agree with them. I got one come on right there. That's, I'll take it. They say, watch this, they say nasty things about outsiders. I say, they, they come in and they say nasty things about the outcast. They say nasty things about the outsiders, hallelujah. They say things like those people are evil. Don't come into contact with them. I mean, they even go through extremes. They say they're ignorant, wicked. Don't touch them, hallelujah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But those who love God's truth don't call people names. As a matter of fact, you don't hear Jesus calling her no name. He could have easily called her names. He don't call her no names. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because my Bible says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so he's not calling her names. And here's the reality. If you know the story like I do, she's a little shocked. She's shocked and, uh, because she's amazed that Jesus is talking to her and that he's the one that's actually initiating the conversation. Amen, somebody. I think it's about time, hallelujah, that your church starts shocking the world. With their approach, hallelujah, on ministering to them. Be led by the spirit, not by the flesh. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you're in this place, shout glory. 
He knows that she's a Samaritan. He knows she's a sinner. But he wants to talk to her. Why? Because he does not see as man sees. And somebody ought to want to praise him for that. Here's the thing that amazes me about Jesus. Hallelujah. This is bigger than just this one woman. When Jesus looks inside of this woman, he sees revival in the nation of Samaria. Listen, here is a woman that's rejected. She's so rejected that she goes to the well at noontime, at the hottest time of the day, because she's not just rejected by Jews, she's rejected by her own people because she has a past. And so when she goes to the well in the morning, when it's cooler, when everybody else is at the well, everybody's whispering, everybody's pointing. Everybody's talking. So in an attempt to avoid all that, she goes to the well at noon. She is a woman who has been rejected. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Jesus goes to the well before she got there to minister to her. Knowing, knowing that inside of her is the potential to start a revival. Isn't it amazing how God can see past dirt? Past sin? Come on, somebody. You, you're not catching me. She was divorced five times, and she's cohabiting. And Jesus looks at her, and when most people will turn away, he turns her around. <laughs> After she experiences Jesus... She goes back, she drops her water pot, which represents the residue of every time she's ever been to the well in the first place. She goes to her hometown and she tells everybody over there, come see a man who told me everything I did. And they, a multitude, they come. So could you imagine? The multitude is coming and now the disciples are talking to Jesus, saying, Jesus, why are you talking to her? Which leads me to the third step in Jesus' triple threat stance, which is hunger. Notice this, hallelujah. The disciples say, listen, you hungry? You haven't ate. Why don't you eat something? And Jesus said, and I quote, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. I have food to eat that you know nothing of. Of. And his disciples, they didn't get it. So they said one to another, did somebody bring him food? <laughs> did somebody bring him food when we were away? And Jesus said, let me help these guys out. So he answered them and he said this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I feel like God wants to let somebody in this place know you won't see a harvest. Then he started talking to them about harvest. You won't see a harvest until you hunger for souls. In other words, hallelujah. Do you have passion to see souls saved? Some of us are excited about the fact that we are saved. But let me just help you in here. God didn't save you just so that you could be saved. When you get to heaven, the one question I know God's going to ask you is, who did you bring with you? Because in the same way he gave 
Listen, he gave talents, hallelujah. And, 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 and the parable there, he used talents as money. But each one of us have been given talents by God and abilities. To each he gave according to their ability, hallelujah. So all of us have been given salvation as a gift, hallelujah. But God wants us to increase upon that which he has given us. And when he comes back, he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And like the parable of the talents, the one who had the ability, hallelujah, to, to, to bring back five more, hallelujah, he said, well done. And the one that he gave two to brought two more. And he said, well done, hallelujah. To the one who had ten altogether, he said, you're going to be the leader over ten cities. To the one who brought four, you're going to leave four cities. Hallelujah. But then he came to the one that he gave one to. He said, what did you do with what I gave you? If you only had the ability to bring one more and you would have brought one more, you would have brought a hundredfold return. Because that was your ability. That's your capacity. But he didn't do anything. He said, here is what you gave me. I held on to it. I held on to it. In other words, I didn't do anything with it. Here you go. And you know the story. He called that person a fool. Wicked. Lazy. That's what he called them. And then he took it away and gave it to the one who brought the most. Because God likes busy people. I said God likes busy people. Listen. Put my next point up there. I think I have one more point that speaks to this. I increase my options or my skill as it pertains to basketball, right, OV skill, as a result of hunger to succeed. Let me give you some Bible on that. Solomon put it like this. He that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. Hallelujah. Can I submit to you, those who know me, who really know me, know that I'm a very competitive person. I'm competitive. Amen. Some people look at that and they go, isn't that like a negative thing? Isn't that like a negative thing, Pastor? <laughs> want to be spiritual ain't that negative that's not really spiritual I'm like oh it is the way I use it are you hearing what I'm saying it is because even the apostle Paul said this hallelujah there are many who run in a race but only one wins the prize and so then he says run to win and so that's what I do hallelujah and so when it comes to winning souls you got to be about it. Can I say it like I feel it? I said, you got to be about it. Hallelujah. You got to go after souls. You got to win souls for Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus on one occasion, hallelujah, in the parable of the, of the, of the, of the, the banquet, he said, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come. Do you know what that word compel? Compel means don't give up until they say yes. And so you got to be about it. Hallelujah. We got to win souls for Jesus. But you can't do that if you're not hungry. You got to be hungry for it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A basketball player who is good at the triple threat stance but never tries to score is useless. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Those, those basketball players that I mentioned a moment ago that are, that are really good with that triple threat, they're scorers. Michael Jordan... Kobe and LeBron, they're scorers, hallelujah. They don't, listen, their only option is not pass. They're a triple threat. They're a triple threat. And so they'll run by you, take it to the basket, or they'll shoot. 
but they're scorers. Hallelujah. I want to be a scorer for Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I hope I'm not the only one. Hallelujah. Are you blessed in here, church? You got to hunger to score. Hallelujah. Put my next point up there. The Pharisees will turn you away, but the Prince of Peace will turn you around. Isn't that true? The second story I wanted to talk to you about very quickly, hallelujah, as time is moving really fast, is this. It's the story of a particular leper, and I won't go to it for the sake of time. I will challenge you to read it. You're going to find it in Matthew chapter 8. You read this story beginning at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 8, hallelujah. And it is the story of a leper who comes to Jesus. Now, this is pretty amazing because lepers normally did not come to you. They weren't allowed to come to you. They had to move away from you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, according to even the law of Moses, there were, there were uh, stipulations, regulations established concerning lepers because this was really serious. Because if a leper was infected, he was defiled, totally defiled. And so if he came in contact with you, you were defiled. And so they could not come. Listen, nobody could come 50 feet to a leper. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And if, if you were walking and there was lepers in the distance, they had to yell with a loud voice that they were lepers to let you know. They had to yell, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine that? Unclean, unclean. In other words, don't come this way. Hallelujah, Jesus. Leprosy in that day was awful. Awful. It began with maybe some white spots on your skin, but in no time at all, those white spots would envelop your skin, and your skin would begin to deteriorate. And you could, it's, it was so bad that pieces of skin could just fall off your body. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It was not a pretty sight. Hallelujah. But how many of you know, hallelujah, that a lot of what the Bible teaches literally is meant, hallelujah, to teach us something spiritually? And at the same time, hallelujah, while lepr leprosy was something that you, you saw the results of outwardly, uh, from a spiritual perspective, what you see outwardly is a result of something that's happening inwardly. And leprosy is also an illustration of what sin does. It's what sin does. Sin doesn't begin on the body, it begins in the heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? And what you see uh, in the leper happening physically outwardly is simply the result of what's happening in someone's heart when they're struggling with sin are you hearing me in this place if you ever get a chance and you read leviticus 13 you hear the the levitical law or the regulations concerning the leper and these are the things that were established i'm gonna give them to you very quickly it says it basically lets you know in leviticus 13 and 3 that leprosy is deeper, deeper than the skin that the outward manifestations of sin are merely a window into the heart. Are you in this place, church? Watch this. The next thing that we learn is that leprosy starts out small and then it spreads just like sin. Are you hearing me? See, we don't like to talk about sin in church no more. God have mercy. Hallelujah. Watch this. Leprosy defiles everything it touches according to Leviticus 13, 44 through 46. When a man was stricken with leprosy, he was totally and thoroughly defiled 
How many of you know, hallelujah, that sin has a way of poisoning a whole person's life? It will if you let it. Hallelujah. Amen, somebody. Another thing that Leviticus 13 and 46 teaches us is leprosy isolates. I said leprosy isolates. He is isolated from the camp. Hallelujah. Forced to dwell alone. On the outside of the fringes of society, sin does the same thing. Hallelujah. Read your Bible from the very beginning when the first man sinned. After he sinned, the first thing Adam and Eve did was that they hid. They ran. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Leprosy destines things for the fire. Read Leviticus 13, 52. Leprosy destined things for the fire. Everything the leper touched was burned. God, help me in here. Everything the leper touched eventually was burned. So it was a serious thing. So I want you to just picture this with me very quickly. Could you imagine this leper walking towards Jesus? Could you imagine the crowd? Because Jesus always had a crowd around him. You want to see a crowd dissipate? When this man starts walking to Jesus, trust me, he don't got to say excuse me. When this man starts walking to Jesus, because not only did they have to yell unclean, they had to, they had to wear clothes that were ripped so that, you can, so that you can spot them just in case they didn't say nothing. They had to wear what they referred to in that day as mourner's clothes. They had to dress like they were going to a funeral, but it was really their own. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so watch this. Could you imagine when this man starts walking to Jesus? Everybody's like, get on the way, get on the way. And, and could you imagine, because listen, I could imagine that even his friends, because you know the lepers stuck together. On one occasion, Jesus healed 10 of them. That lets you know that they stick together. Watch this. So I, I, I imagine his friends saying, yo, you need to stay with us. Don't even go over there. It's, that's not going to end well for you. He doesn't want you. Nobody does. There's nobody in your Bible who was more rejected than a leper. You can't talk about rejection and not talk about lepers. Out of all the healings you'll see in the Bible, you would probably think that the healing of blind eyes was the greatest one. But I will submit to you that it was the healing of a leper. Because the healing of a leper was the only healing that would totally announce that our Messiah had just arrived. And if you know your Bible like I do, you know why that is. Stay with me. Hallelujah. I'm getting there. So could you imagine, hallelujah, the people recoiling as the leper approached with his cries of unclean, unclean. This guy doesn't need for Jesus to tell him that he has a need. He knows he has a need. Amen, somebody. And he knows that Jesus has the power to help him with his need. I want you to see his faith here because he comes to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, hallelujah, if thou wilt, if thou wilt, if thou wilt. In other words, hallelujah, he knows that healing rests with Jesus. He says, thou can heal me. And you know the rest of that story, Jesus says, I will, hallelujah. The Bible makes makes it uh, important to let us know that he's not just in the beginning stages of leprosy. The Bible says he was full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. That means, hallelujah, that he was in his final stages. When you had leprosy, 
from beginning to end, you could live in that day for nine years. Nine years before leprosy finished tearing you apart. Are you hearing me in this place? Hallelujah. So the people are, he's coming closer and closer to Jesus. Could you imagine the people? The people are probably thinking, he's going to turn them away. He's going to turn them away. He has to turn them away. But he doesn't turn them away. He turns them around. Oh, God, have mercy. And if it wasn't enough to just let them come uh, 50 feet within, hallelujah, the scope of 50 feet, he gets right in front of him. And then you know what Jesus does to their amazement? He reaches out. Because, you know, Jesus is powerful enough to just say, you're healed. And you're healed. On one, on one occasion, he took the centurion's servant. The centurion said, come to my house. Jesus said, all right, let's go to your house. I mean, the centurion didn't say, come to my house. He said, help me. And Jesus said, let's go to your house. And the centurion said, you don't got to come to my house. Just speak the word. And my servant will be made whole, right? And that's what happened. In this occasion, he's right there. And Jesus could have just said, thou art clean. And he would have been clean. But Jesus realized that this person didn't just need to be preached to. He needed to be touched. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, oftentimes, hallelujah, you got people who have a word, who ain't got, don't mind preaching at you. But don't know how to be led by the spirit to touch you. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? With the love of God, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Are you blessed in here, church? Hallelujah. What's different about this touch? What's different about this touch? Hallelujah. Put my next point up there. I want to make sure that I'm... Here we go. This is a challenge for you right here, saints. Transmit what's in you without fear. Here's what I love. Jesus not only touched them... But he touched them without fear. Oh, man. I didn't even get an amen. I got a hand up. Thank you, sister. Hallelujah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He, he touched them without fear. Now, you can sit here and act spiritual if you want to. But if you knew that a leper was this contagious, amen, and he's coming at you, would you be quick to touch him? Y'all not saying nothing in here. Can I tell you, I was in Kisalaya, Nicaragua. And we were ministering to a people who were indigenous. Right, Sister Deb? Indigenous. These people were not clean. They did everything in the same river. When we first got there, listen to me. When we first got there, we crossed this little bridge. And they were in the river. And immediately I saw... One woman washing her clothes in the river. Then we saw somebody else using the bathroom in the river that she was washing her clothes. And then we saw another person bathing. So they bathed, washed clothes, and used the bathroom in the same river. And they drank that water. It's the only water that they have to drink. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
And so these are the people that we're ministering to. And we're having service and we're having church. I make an altar call. And the altar is packed with people who want Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord comes upon me and says, you make sure you touch every single one of them. And we touched them without fear. And I believe that it was because of that, that miracles, signs, and wonders broke out in that place in an amazing way. In a ma if you were with us, you would not be the same today. You would not be the same. Hallelujah. I was ministered to, I think, more than I ministered. You don't know what it is to have an adult man come to you. Hallelujah. And you ask him, what do you need prayer for? And he says, I want to see. And he was blind. And I looked into his eyes and his eyes were grayed out. I mean, just grayed out. Can't see at all. Spirit of the Lord told me, touch him. Touch this man. Hallelujah. And with, see, nobody else could see this because I was facing him. With my own eyes, I saw his eyes change. I took a couple of steps back and I said, how many fingers do I have up? And the man who can only speak Mosquito, because that was their native language. They don't speak, these guys don't speak Spanish. I had to preach in Spanish and somebody had to translate in Mosquito. And I said, how many hands do I have up? And the man answered me in Spanish. Said, dos. I said, how many do I have now? He said, cuatro. I said, how many do I have now? He said, cinco. I said, how many do I have now? He said, diez. And the place went berserk. But what if I would have been afraid to touch him? What if I would have been afraid to touch him? What if he didn't just need to be healed, but he needed to be touched? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some people don't get healed until they're touched because they need a touch. Could you imagine a leper who hasn't been touched in a long time? Could you imagine what he felt when Jesus put his hand on him? I love the Lord. Hallelujah. Transmit what's in you without fear. It's amazing. What's so powerful about the touch of Jesus is that as contaminated as he was, he couldn't transmit what he had on Jesus. Because Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. The only thing that could happen is that Jesus transmitted what was in him on him. And he got cleansed. And he got healed. And he was made brand new. Hallelujah. Are you blessed in here, church? Oh, I got a lot to give you, but I only got five minutes left. And because I got five minutes left, let me just share five minutes of the last story I wanted to give you. Hallelujah. Again, most people will turn these away, but God turned them around. Rejected by man. Selected by God. Here's, here's one thing I want to say about this. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me see the next point real quick. I think I have one more that was important. Jesus wanted people to follow the message, not the miracles. Ah, oh, God. Wait. When Jesus healed this man, the Bible says that he thrust him from the crowd. And not to the crowd, from the crowd. 
away from the crowd because he didn't want people to follow him as a spectacle or someone who just entertains with miracles. He wanted them to follow the message, not the miracles. And if you ever knew the order of the Bible, the miracles always come after the message. In other words, signs and wonders always follow the preaching of the gospel. If you're not careful, the Bible says that many will be deceived in the last day because the false prophet, uh, this is a little deep, this is a little deep, but the false prophet, hallelujah, and the antichrist, the false prophet is going to do miracles. And many will be deceived because they saw miracles. You can't be deceived by seeing a miracle if the miracle don't match the message. This is why the apostle Paul said, Satan can come to you in the form of an angel of light. But if what he tells you does not line up with scripture, he is not of God. Do not follow him. So you can't be deceived by a miracle. The miracle should follow the message. And the message has to be correct. Amen, somebody. Give me the next point. Hallelujah. I want to see if I can finish this in minutes. You could be cleansed and fail to reach your destiny. Oh, God. You could be cleansed and fail to reach your destiny. Watch this. If you know this story like I do, the command of Jesus after he, thr notice, thrust him away from the crowd, not to the crowd, and then told him, show yourself to the priest. To the priest, not to the crowd. The man, the Bible leads us to believe, most scholars agree, that he probably didn't even go to the priest because he went to the crowd. He was so excited like many of us would and would just start telling everybody about what Jesus did. But Jesus wanted him to go to the priest because according, I wish I had time. According to Leviticus, hallelujah, in order to be accepted back into society, there was a system, a process that a leper who had been cleansed would have to go through. Amen. And from from the Old Testament, Kings, first Kings, I think it was chapter 5, until this day, nobody has seen a leper cleansed. Because it was prophesied back then about one that would come. And so watch this. If the leper would have went to the priest, the priest would have went through the process of determining whether he was cleansed or not. And it was a long process. They had to take two, two, two doves and they had to kill one dove and they had to take the blood of the one dove and they had to put it on the dove that remained alive. They would let the dove that was alive go and then the, the dripping of the blood would allow the leper to know how he got cleansed. That it was the blood that, that it was the blood that cleansed me. But anyway, here's the thing. He's cleansed. But he doesn't go to the priest. If he goes to the priest, according to Levitical law, the priests have to send out a notice that there is one that has arrived that can cleanse lepers. And that that one is the Messiah. So Jesus doesn't just want the crowd to get happy. He wants to confront religion and let them know, I am the Messiah and I have arrived. But because he did not go... To the priest, he did not accomplish his assignment. So it is possible for you to get cleansed 
Many of us are saved right now, have been washed by the blood of Jesus. My question is, are you in your assignment? Are you in your assignment? Give me my next point. I think I'm almost finished. God sees, listen, God sees past the poison and focuses on your potential. And I wanted to just say this about the last person. How many of you are familiar, and you're familiar with this story because I preached on it recently, uh, the Garadean demonic in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, you read that story when you get a chance, the Garadean demonic. This is an amazing story to me because of this, okay. Jesus, it starts in chapter 4 because Jesus tells his disciples, get in a boat, we're going to the other side. Get in a boat, we're going to the other side, right. And Jesus is taking this trip. you got to understand how far God sees, I think this is where people miss it. Uh, God's ability to see is amazing because God sees, watch this, past a storm to a man who's filled with demons. Not only is he filled with demons, and we're not even talking about like seven demons, hallelujah, like the woman with the alabaster box. I'm sure that was powerful. This man has 2,000 demons. This man, just in case you don't know, hallelujah, was probably a family man one day. And the reason I say that is because when you read the story to its totality, Jesus sends him back home to his people. And so watch this. This guy was a member of society at one, at one point, but dealing, hallelujah, with struggles. Uh, how many know that, that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, according to the Bible? What he was dealing with was powers and principalities that drove him away from society. Now he's living in the tombs. Can you imagine that? He's so dead. He's living among the dead. Amen. And the Bible says, hallelujah, that they would chain him and he would break the chains. Just to give you an idea, hallelujah, of the demonic power or influence that was operating in this man's life. So they, he would break the chains. Men would try to control him and ten men could not control this one man. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He was a man out of control. He would be screaming and screeching in the night. The Bible says he would cut himself. Doesn't that sound familiar? How many teenagers today are cutting themselves, hallelujah, and don't really understand what's really happening? He's cutting himself. And so watch this. The Bible says that he had a legion in him. And a legion, according to military, is 2,000. At least 2,000 demons. Could you imagine? I didn't even think 2,000 demons could be in one man. And Jesus takes a trip through the Sea of Galilee for one man. Watch this. Who has the potential to win 10 cities. This is what you got to catch. Hallelujah. Jesus Jesus, before he even gets there, is already thinking about what he's going to do. Jesus has 10 cities. There's a place called Decapolis, and in Decapolis, there are 10 cities. And Jesus is thinking about revival breaking out in 10 cities. And you were to think that if you were going to select somebody to bring revival to 10 cities, it will be the most spiritual person you know. But when Jesus gets ready to pick somebody to change 10 cities, he looks at a man who has 2,000 demons and says, when I finish with you, inside of you is the potential to set 10 cities free. And I don't know about you, but that should minister to you. Hallelujah. Because that means I don't matter. It don't matter how rich.
wretched you were. It don't matter how messed up you were. It don't matter how much messed up things you did in your life. It don't matter how many bad decisions. I don't care how long your rap sheet is. When most people would turn you away, God says, let me have him. Let me have her. And turns you around. And then uses you, hallelujah, to make revival break out in ten cities. My God, hallelujah. That's an amazing God. It's amazing God. He's in the boat. I'm closing. He's in the boat while they're on their way over there and a storm arises. Is he, is he taken back by the storm? No. He knows where he's going. He knows that Satan's last attempt to keep him from getting to that one man because that one man who has 2,000 demons, also has 10 cities inside of him. Don't be quick to knock somebody who's got issues. Because I will submit to you that most people who got or had issues also have promise. There's a reason the devil has them. Well, you don't hear them. There's a reason the devil's trying to keep them bound. Hallelujah. Because if they ever got free... And so, a storm arises in an attempt to keep Jesus from getting there. Isn't that something? And you know what Jesus does to the storm? Well, first he sleeps through it. I say he, he, he sleeps through it. Can you sleep through storms? Knowing that there's a word over your life. Can you sleep through storms knowing you're not finished yet? Sometimes you got to know that what's come against you cannot take you out. Because you're not finished. Because you're not finished. Are you hearing what I'm saying? On one occasion God tells the apostle Paul when they're in a boat that's about to get shipwrecked. He said, Paul, you cannot die until you stand before Caesar. And so Paul survives the storm, later gets bit by a poisonous snake, and you know what he does? <laughs> Shakes it off into the fire. Why? Because the word over my life said, I'm not finished. When I stand before Caesar, I'll be done. Until then, I can't die. No matter what comes against me, there's a word over my life. There's a word over my life. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in jail. He's about to be killed in the morning. You know the story. He got four guards watching him taking turns throughout the night. 16 guards total in repetitions of four guarding him. Two of them are chained to him the whole time to make sure he can't escape. You know what he does? He does what Jesus did. He goes to sleep. Why does he go to sleep? If you knew you were going to die in the morning, you ain't sleeping. Go ahead, act spiritual. You ain't sleeping. You're probably going to have an all, if you're really spiritual, you're going to have an all-night vigil, at least. Come on, somebody. Peter goes to sleep. You want to know why he goes to sleep? Because Pete, Jesus told him after he resurrected, Peter, when you're old, when you're old, they're going to stretch you out wide. But when Peter is in jail, he's not old. 
So you just got to remember the word that's over your life. When you're old, you'll die. I'm not old, so I don't care what King Herod said. I don't care how many guards. I don't care how long you watch me. I can't die until I finish. Do I got a church in here? I know, we got to go. Oh, God, help me in here. Jesus can't die. They wanted to kill Jesus. One occasion, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Could you imagine that? They had him cornered, and they were pushing him to throw him off the cliff. And then the next verse says, and Jesus maneuvered his way through them. Now, if you're in a group and you're trying to push somebody off a cliff, you ain't going to let them outmaneuver you. But this is Jesus. I thought about that. You know, you pray for me because I'm a little bit crazy. I couldn't help but to think about the movie Click. Remember that movie Click? Where you would click the remote and everything would freeze? Well, if anybody could do that, the master of the universe can. If he could make the sun stand still for Joshua, hallelujah, he could make the sun, Joshua means Joshua. He could make the sun stand still for himself. I believe they were about to push him off that cliff and he just said, click. And while they were like this, he just went. Somebody give him praise in here.